Have you ever had to have a conversation that you really didn't want to have, but you knew you, you needed to have? Maybe um, you had to confront um, a friend about something that they were doing or, or they were saying. Uh, maybe you needed to break up with somebody uh, you knew you shouldn't be dating. Um, maybe you had to come clean about something to, to your parents. You needed to, to confess to them. You really didn't want to have the conversation, but you knew you needed to. Well, that's kind of how I feel about tonight's message. Um, we kicked off a brand new teaching series last week called Not of This World, and we started the series on a really high note. We talked about heaven, a really exciting, a great topic. I mean, who doesn't like to talk about heaven? Everybody loves heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But you see, if we're going to spend an entire week devoted to, to the topic of heaven, I think it's only right and only necessary that we also spend an entire week talking about heaven's counterpart, which is hell. You see, talking about hell, it's not easy or fun. You know, if I were to, to make a list of, of 20 topics I would love to talk about on a Wednesday night with a bunch of students, hell would not find its place there on the list. You know, the, the, the idea of hell has become pretty controversial in our culture. I think most people would, would kind of have the idea of like, how can you possibly believe in a loving God, like the God of the Bible, the Christian God, a loving God, and still believe in hell at the same time. Like those two things seem incompatible. I think that the idea of hell has become a, a very outdated belief in our culture. People would, would look at you if you said you believed in, in an actual hell and think like you still really believe that? Like people still actually believe today that there is a literal actual hell? But you see, I think that hell is an incredibly necessary and important topic for us to talk about. And, and, and here's why. Because Jesus talked about it. In fact, Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. And I think a lot of times people think, oh, no, no, God, Jesus was all about love and kindness and mercy and grace. But when you look at the ministry of Jesus, he talked about hell a lot. And he talked about hell more than he even talked about heaven. It was a topic that he brought up in his teaching over and over. And, and here's why I take what Jesus says seriously. You, you might think, okay, who cares that, that Jesus talked about it? Here's why I take what Jesus has to say seriously because he predicted his own death and resurrection, and then he pulled it off. And, and I don't know about you, but if somebody predicted that they were gonna die and come back to life, and then they actually did it, I'm one of those people where I'm, I'm just gonna believe whatever they have to say about anything. Like I trust what Jesus has to say about the topic of hell because I believe in the resurrection. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, which gives validity to everything that he ever said. So just like last week, um, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna break this message down into three questions that we're gonna try to answer. There are a lot of different things we could talk about when it, when it comes to this. In fact, we could probably do an entire series just on the topic of hell, but I've kind of narrowed it down, boiled it down to the, the most important things for you to understand. And it's in, in the form of three different questions. I'm gonna go ahead and, and give those to you before we jump into them. The three questions are this. Who's in charge of it? Who, who's in charge of hell? Raiden, 
Who's in charge of it? What is it like? And who's going to be there? Who's in charge of it? What is it like? And who's going to be there? So let's start with the first question tonight, which is this. Who is in charge of hell? Who's the boss? Who's in charge of hell? I think the assumption by most people is that the devil, Satan, he is in charge of hell. That hell is kind of his home base. It's his fortress that he kind of rules and reigns from. And him and his demons, they, they're there in hell and they're tormenting people who are there. And they go back and forth between earth and hell. But it's kind of their home base. It's their castle. It's their, their, their fortress. But you see, the Bible tells us something very different. Listen to what Matthew 25, verse 41 says. This is Jesus talking. He says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, hell was not created by Satan, and hell is not ruled by Satan. Hell was created by and is ruled by God. And it was designed and created for Satan and his angels, which we refer to as demons. In fact, hell was never originally intended for human beings. Hell was created to be the eternal home for Satan. It's not a place that Satan is in charge of. It's a place that he is going to be sentenced to forever. He's going to be thrown into the lake of fire on Judgment Day, which is something that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. God is the one who is in charge of hell. He's got the, the keys to hell. You know, I think a lot of times there's this belief that, you know, hell is where God is not. Hell is the absence of, of God's presence. But that's just not true. Hell is the absence of God's grace. And when God's grace is removed from the picture, what you are left with is God's justice. God's judgment, God's wrath, they are on full display in hell. God is not absent from hell. God is just as much in charge and in control of hell as he is of heaven. Satan, he's not in charge of hell. Hell is his eternal home where he is going to be sentenced to live for eternity. So then the second question is this. Okay, well then what, what is hell like? What do people and what is Satan, what do they experience in hell? You know, the Bible actually speaks a lot about the nature of hell. And it gives some pretty vivid descriptions of, of what it's like. The first thing that we see is this, is that hell is a place of terror and torment. A place of terror and, and, and torment. I just want to share a few examples from the New Testament where it talks about what hell is going to be like. Luke 16, verse 23 through 24, Jesus says this. In Hades, that's another name for hell, uh, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Matthew 13, 42, Jesus says this, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Revelation 21.8 says this, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The Bible, it pictures hell as this place of fire, as a blazing furnace, as a, a lake of burning sulfur. Now, when we read these verses, should we take them literally? Is hell actually a place of fire? Is it this blazing furnace? Is it a lake of fire? There's a lot of opinions on this, a lot of different interpretations, and I'll just share mine. I would lean towards saying no. I don't think these descriptions of hell are meant to be read literally. But that doesn't mean that we don't take hell seriously. I think fire is a symbol for something far, far worse. You see, anytime the Bible uses a symbol to describe something, the reality is always far greater and far more significant than the symbol. So if fire is just a symbol, then the reality of hell is much worse. Burning eternally and, and, and fire is just a picture of what hell is actually like. I don't think there are words in our vocabulary as humans to adequ adequately describe the terror and the torment of hell. So listen, whether it's literal and it actually is fire or it's figurative and it's something much worse, it's not good. But hell, it's not horrible because of the temperature there. And, and hell shouldn't be feared because the devil is there. Hell is horrible. Hell should be feared because it is the presence of God's wrath without any of his grace. And look, every single one of us in this room, we benefit from God's grace on second by second, day by day. Whether you believe in God, whether you believe in Jesus or not, we all experience God's grace. God's grace is what holds this universe together. God's grace is what sustains us. God's grace is what gives us life. But hell is the complete and total removal of all grace. It's a place of just conscious torment. But secondly, hell is a place of ongoing rebellion. You know, when people go to hell, and they're there and they're experiencing this, this, this torment, they don't begin to turn to Jesus. They don't start to repent. They don't wanna be there, they wanna get out, they wanna escape, but they don't all of a sudden turn to God and ask them to save him. No, in hell, people will continue to rebel against God, to resist him and refuse to worship him. And without God's grace being there, what happens is those in hell, they are completely given over to their sinful nature. They become consumed by their disobedience and by their rebellion. Hell is not a place where people are gonna be crying out, asking God to save them. It's a place where they're gonna continue to resist the lordship of Jesus in their life. And finally, what we see from scripture is that hell is eternal. Hell is not a place that people can escape from. Hell is not this temporary timeout where you go to learn a lesson, and if you're good enough and you kind of learn the lesson, then you can get out. No, no, no. Hell lasts forever. There is no end. There is no relief. 
their torment and, and, and rebellion, it lasts for eternity. Listen to what Jesus says about this. Matthew 25, 46, he says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Hell is a place of torment. Hell is a place where people are gonna continue to rebel and resist God, and hell is a place that is eternal. It has no end. It has no relief. But then finally, the third question, this is where we're gonna spend the the majority of our time, is this, who goes to hell? If we know who's in charge of it, which is God, and we kind of have an idea of what it's gonna be like, well, who is going to be there? Students, here, here is the sobering truth that all of us need to understand. Hell is every human being's default destination. Because every single person on planet Earth who has ever lived has been infected by the curse of sin. Sin is in our nature. It's who we are at our core. And our sin has brought about a spiritual death. We are spiritually dead because of our sin. And our sin, our rebellion against God, it has consequences. And the Bible says that the consequences for our sin, the consequences for our our rebellion is eternal death, eternal judgment, eternal punishment. And you may wonder, and this is a legitimate question, like why such a harsh punishment? Like that seems extreme, that seems severe, that seems unnecessary. Like why send somebody to hell forever because of their sin, because they gossip or or lie or cheat or steal? Like that seems severe. Here's what we need to understand. The severity of the punishment is because of who we have sinned against. The severity of the punishment is directly related to who we have sinned against. And this is true even in our world today here on earth. Who we wrong, who we offend impacts the kind of punishment that we face. Let me give you a few examples. Let's say tonight after the service, we're all hanging out in the student building and and me and John are playing ping pong and John beats me because nine out of 10 times, John beats me in ping pong. And, and, and he goes up after to say, hey, man, good try. And, and I just stand there, and I just deck him in the face. Just straight sucker punch him. John would definitely hit the floor. Here's, here's what would happen if I deck John Gibbons in the face. I might get in a little bit of trouble. My boss would probably call me in tomorrow and be like, hey, let's try not to hit the interns again. Um, I might even get a little bit of, of a raise for hitting John. But, like, it's probably not gonna be that big of a deal. Now, let, let's say this happens. Let's say Friday night, I'm in, in Hyde Park, one of my favorite places, eating that bar taco, getting my guac on. It's me and Brooke. And walk, who walks in the door? It's, it's Tom Brady and his entourage. Brady shows up, the goat. He's there for his guac and his tacos. And I see him and I get up and I walk up to him and I just deck Tom Brady right in the face. Now, what do you think is gonna happen if I deck Tom Brady in the face? I can tell you, I am going straight to jail. People will be pressing charges against me. I will probably be doing time in prison. All of Tampa Bay will probably be trying to burn down my house. 
It's going to be a severe consequence and a severe punishment because of who I wronged and offended. Now, let me give you one more example. This is not a political statement, but imagine I was able to get close enough to the President of the United States, and I decked him in the face. And because of his age, he's definitely going down. We're going to have to edit this out of the podcast. Here's what, here's what would happen. I would get shot on the spot. Like, there's no trial. There's no attorneys involved. If I put my hands on the president of the United States, I'm getting shot on the spot. And why? Because he's the most powerful person in our country. Listen, listen. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Who we sin against determines the severity of our punishment. We, students, we have sinned against the highest authority in the universe. We have sinned against a holy God. And you see, God's holiness is his most defining characteristic. And what does it mean that that God is is holy? You might have heard about that growing up in church. What does it mean that God is holy? It means a couple of things. One, it means that he is transcendent, meaning he is above and beyond this finite world because he is eternal. He is set apart. He is different from everything else. There is no one and there is no thing in the entire universe like God. But his holiness, it also means that he is morally pure. God is completely righteous. He is spotless without blemish. He is incapable God is incapable of doing wrong because he has never been tainted or infected by sin. He can only do good. He can only think good. He can only be good. Listen to what 1 John 1, 5 says, that this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, meaning God is holy. God is pure. God is righteous. God is without blemish. In him, there is no darkness at all. There is no sin. There is no corruption. And God's holiness, his moral purity, it is incompatible with our sin. We cannot be in God's presence because of our sinfulness. Our sin is in violation of God's very nature, which is why he can't just ignore it. He can't just look past it. He can't just pretend it's not there. His holiness demands justice. He must punish sin and rebellion. He can't just be indifferent towards it because if God just overlooked our sin, if God just pretended like it didn't happen, if God pretended like it wasn't a big deal, then he would not be just and therefore he would not be holy. Look, the the punishment of hell, it only seems overly severe when we have minimized our sin and when we have minimized God's holiness. When we don't think our sin is a big deal, when we don't think that, that, that we've really done anything that bad, and when we downplay God's holiness as righteousness, that's the only time hell seems too severe. But when we have a right understanding of our sin and God's holiness, hell is the only logical response. It's the only punishment that makes sense for our crime. So then if God is holy, 
And if God must judge sin and we are sinners, then what are we supposed to do? Where's the hope for us? How are we supposed to move forward? Listen, there is hope because of God's grace and God's love. Just as God's holiness demands that he be just, God's holiness demands that he be gracious and loving. And while we were spiritually dead, while we were destined for hell, that was our default destination, God intervened on our behalf. He sent his son Jesus to the earth as fully God and fully man, and he took on the weight of our sin and our shame. He took on the punishment that we deserve. He experienced the fullness of God's justice and wrath on the cross. And by dying in our place, And then three days later, rising from the dead, coming back to life, he defeated the power of sin and death. And he made a way for every single person to be made right with God, to have our sins forgiven, to have our debt canceled so that we can be with God forever. We can be in his presence. But it is only by calling on the name of Jesus, by putting our faith and our trust in what Jesus did on the cross that we may be saved. Listen to what Acts 4.12 says. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name other than the name of Jesus under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only means for our salvation. So then what about the people who never hear about Jesus? What about the people who never hear his name? What what happens to them? Do they still go to hell? Listen, I wish I could say that they get a pass. I wish I could say that God could just turn a blind eye and overlook their sin. But I can't say that because scripture doesn't say that. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter one. And and, and I realize this is like one of the biggest objections to hell. How could somebody who never hears about Jesus still go to hell? Listen to what Paul says in Romans one. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God, it's been made plain to them, meaning it's been made clear and obvious because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, they have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The Bible teaches that every human being with the mental capacity to understand, and I want to emphasize that, the mental capacity to understand, which means infants and babies and toddlers and disabled, God puts them in another category. God treats them differently. God extends grace to them. But every single human being with the mental capacity to understand, they are without excuse 
because we have all sinned and turned away from God. Every human who has ever lived has seen the evidence of God's creation, has seen the evidence of God's invisible qualities, but they continue to suppress and to ignore the truth. They choose to worship the creation rather than the creator. They worship money and sex and power and themselves and other people and other images and other idols rather than the creator. And because of this, every person is facing eternal judgment and hell apart from Jesus. And listen, you, you may be sitting there, I'm sure some of you are, and you're thinking, but that's not right. That's not fair. And, and can I tell you, I completely get it. I, I completely understand. I don't like that. And I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope we get to heaven and there's all these people there who've never heard about Jesus and God looks at me and says like, why were you teaching that? And I'll say, well, obviously I kind of misinterpreted scripture, scripture, but like I don't want to be right about this. I'm not one of those people who's excited about people burning in hell. But here's what we need to understand. Jesus dying in our place, Jesus taking our punishment, that was not fair. You know, we talk about God needs to be fair. We don't want God to be fair with us because what's fair and just is for every single one of us to spend an eternity in hell because of our sin, because of who we have sinned against. We do not want God to be fair, but God in his love and his mercy and his kindness, he has made salvation available to all who believe. Students, hell is very real. And it is eternal. And hell is every single human being's default destination apart from Jesus. And there are people dying every moment in our country and around the world who are experiencing eternal torment. And the reality of this, it demands urgency. It demands that we live our life on mission to share the hope that is available through just one name, the name of Jesus. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? Talking about Jesus. And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Paul is saying there's only one name they can be saved by. And how can they believe if they never hear? And how can they ever hear if no one ever preaches to them? And how will someone ever preach unless they go and are sent? Look, here, my, my goal tonight is I'm not trying to scare you into a decision. I, I'm not trying to manipulate your, your emotions. That's not, what I, that's, that's not me. I, I'm not gonna be doing any, any hand raising, any come forward tonight. I, I'm not trying to, to manipulate you or force you to make a decision. But I believe that hell is very real because Jesus believed that hell was very real. And if I can just be honest with some of you right now, there are some of you in here and you think you're good and you're not. And if you were to die tonight on the way home to your house, you would spend an eternity in hell. And I don't say that to be mean or to be harsh. I say that because there is a lot at stake. Eternity is at stake. 
And if you've just been playing games with your eternity, just playing church your whole life, tonight I wanna invite you to really take a look to examine your life. Is there evidence of saving faith in your life? Is there fruit of following Jesus? Because if there is not, then I am worried about your eternity. And my prayer and my hope is that you would place your faith and trust in Jesus and that your eternity would change. But for many of us in here, we are believers. Our eternity is secured in heaven. We've placed our faith and our trust in Jesus, but the reality of hell, we have become numb to. It doesn't impact how we live. We go to school, we go to our jobs, we live by our neighbors, and listen, I'm speaking to myself. And we pass by people every single day who are destined for hell. That is their default destination. And we have the message of hope, the only way that they can be saved. And we say nothing. We're more concerned about being on homecoming court and being popular and being liked and having followers on Instagram than giving them the message of hope that will change their eternity. Listen, the reality of hell has to impact how we live. It has to impact what we do each and every day. It impacts how we live our lives. So tonight, we're gonna sing, we're gonna respond, and I, I just wanna encourage you, every single person in this room, to truly reflect on the reality of hell. And if you've never made that decision to turn from your sin and place your trust in Jesus, I would encourage you, make that decision tonight. I would love to talk with you, Morgan, John, any of your leaders about that. And for those of you who are believers, you've trusted in Jesus. My, my prayer is that God would break the numbness of your heart and would set your heart on fire for the people in your schools, in your neighborhoods, your teams, your jobs who are dying and destined for hell without Jesus and that you would be the hope that they need. Father, we thank you that while we were dead in our sins, while we were deserving of your judgment and your wrath, God, you stepped in to our hopelessness because of your love and your compassion and your mercy, you sent your son to take our place on the cross, to bear the weight of our sin and our shame and our consequences so that we could have a chance at eternal life. And Lord, I lift up students in here Students who have just been playing games, who think that they're saved when they are not, God, that you would make that plainly obvious to them tonight, and God, that they would respond by repenting of their sins and placing their belief and their trust in you. And God, for those of us who call ourselves followers of you, God, I pray that we would be woken up by the reality of hell that we would not spend our lives on things that do not have eternal value but God, that we would go and we would share and we would love and we would offer the hope that is found in your son, Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray, amen.